Good morning. Good morning, Rabotai. Um, <clears throat> welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is dedicated to loving memory of Mrs. Lily Safalina Shmad Le'abat Khana. Her philanthropy has reached so many throughout the entire world, and as well, loving memory and Le'ilui Nishmat Adel Bad Victoria by Allison and Ricky Sutton. Please make Berachot Le'ilui Nishmata. The Week of Kobru and the Breakfast of the Class sponsored by David E. Ash and the new website where you can buy uh, gear um, to support all the great things we do here in the Beit Knesset uh, at capacityforgood.com. There's going to be new uh, merch dropping so- shortly. Um, among many things, you'll be able to buy a I Survived the Toaster Fire of 2021 t-shirt. You'll be able to buy one of those. That should be a, very, a fan favorite. Uh, among some other... <laughs> among some other... <laughs> New t-shirts that should be dropping to support. It's all good fun to support a, a good cause. My friends, let us learn something beautiful together. Should I just wait? Should I wave? Is that, a, is that better? Okay, good. Nice to see you in the family. All right. All right. Wonderful. Let's, let's, uh, let's settle down for something, for a beautiful lesson. The Gemaran Pesachim tells us a remarkable, remarkable story. A story about great tzaddikim. Three tzaddikim to be exact, whose names were Sammy Sutton, David E. Ash, and Mark Ajmi. Three of the names you hear oftentimes on the recording. <laughs> no, their names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. What were they famous for? Anyone remember? Went into the fire. Excellent. Excellent. They went into the fire. Aside from the wonderful things that they did as the leaders of the Jewish people, as, uh, as HaKadosh Baruch Hu's holy emissaries in our, in our world, aside from what they did on the ground, their standout moment has to be the moment when they, instead of worshipping Abu Dazara, they walked into the furnace of fire and uh, HaKadosh Baruch Hu made a miracle for them that they were able to emerge unscathed. But miracle notwithstanding, one has to understand what was the thought process. Why did they? Why were they willing to walk through this furnace? Why were they willing to do it, <coughs> or into its depths? And the Gemara in Pesachim says something unbelievable. Listen to this Gemara. Marau, Chananya, Mishaeva, Azariah. What did they see? Shemasru atzman al kedushat Hashem lekivshana esh. They were willing to uh, sacrifice themselves. Um, for the sake of Kiddush, of Kiddush Shem Shamayim, to sanctify God's name in the fire. Nase'u kalvachomer. They made a kalvachomer, says the Gemara, Ba'atzman. Who did they learn it from? You'd think Avraham Avinu. That would be an excellent lesson. They learned it from Avraham Avinu. Yitzchak Avinu Akeda. That's what they learned it from. Nope. They learned it from Mitzifardeim, from the frogs. Just to be clear, Ashkenazim, I'm not saying Sifardim. I'm saying Sifardim. Okay? They learned it from the frogs, not from the people from the Middle East. Just as the frogs, they have no mitzvah. They never received the Torah. There's no obligation for them to do something for the sake of sanctification of God's name. The Pasuk says, and the frogs, they came in their house and in their beds and in their everything. And not only that, it came and 
and into their ovens. The, the frogs went into the ovens because God said that the frogs will go everywhere, including the ovens. And the frogs indeed went into the ovens. Anu, they had no commandment and they did it. Anu shemitzuvim al kiddushat Hashem. With us, we have a commandment to sanctify God's name. How much more so do we have an obligation if Nebuchadnezzar is putting on the, uh, on the bill either to worship Abu Dazara or to sanctify God's name, how much more so do we have this obligation and we should learn what to do from the frogs? First of all, let's do a couple of uh, housekeeping chores before we move forward in this, in this Dvar Torah. Where is there a commandment in the Torah to be Mekadeshim Shemaim, to sanctify God's name? Where does the Pasuk say that? Where does the Pasuk say that there's a mitzvah to sanctify Hashem's name? Nope, that says nothing about sanctifying God's name. That says Ha'am Hashem your God. It does say it. Bechol Nafshecha is one example. And you shall love Hashem your God. Bechol Nafshecha, right? You have to love Him with all of your soul. Says the Gemara, even if it costs you. Sorry? You say it every day. At least twice, right? You love. You have to love Hashem, your God, with all your soul. Why? Even if the what's on the ticket in front of you is that either you uh, remain true to your faith, or you walk away. Even if the price is going to be uh, dying for your faith, the halacha is. And that's by the way. If anyone has ever been to Spain, you cannot go to a city in Spain that does not have a square where they used to have the auto de fe where they would burn Jews at the stake who were unwilling to give up their religion to convert to Christianity. Wild. This is a commonplace occurrence in Toledo, right? In all these places that you go there, in Madrid, Barcelona, there's not a city in Spain that does not have a square where they burnt Jews alive that were unwilling to leave their Judaism. You have it all over Europe as well where they were given, right, either Christianity or the sword. And they chose their own deaths rather than give up their faith. They'd rather die as a Jew. My friends, that is one pasuk. There's another pasuk that says, Israel, And I will be sanctified amongst the Jewish people. Those two pasukim make up the backbone of the halakha that a person has an obligation to sanctify Hashem's name. But whereas Rabbi Friedman's illustration, Bechol Nafshecha tells you that you need to die al Kidush Hashem, the other pasuk, V'nikdashti b'toch b'nei Israel, I'll be sanctified amongst the Jewish people, tells us that a person has a mitzvah to be, to be mekadeshem shamayim, to sanctify God's name amongst the Jews, among us, not in death, but even in life. So the frogs themselves understood, if this was God's commandment, this is what I need to do. That's what I have to do. And therefore, they put themselves in that situation. Common misconception is that they understood that they would be saved. But that's not how it works. If you jump in the fire thinking God's going to do a miracle for you, God doesn't do a miracle for you. It's only when you do the right thing and you don't think anything's going to happen. You're willing to pay the price that we find stories like Avraham Avinu who saved from the furnace of fire. His brother Haran's like, oh, you get saved if you jumped in? No problem. Jumps right in. Doesn't work for him. 
because there was no emunah in Haran. Haran thought he was doing something safe. And therefore, when there wasn't that uh, risk, the person wasn't uh, acting with faith, acting with uh, the willingness to do misirut nefesh, then there's no, uh, there's no payoff, if you will. My friends, listen and listen carefully. What kind of le- lesson did Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah learn from the frogs? Did the frogs sit around at breakfast, <laughs> at the class, and learn about the halakha of sanctifying God's name? Did the frog decide, did it make an intellectual decision that the right thing to do, and then of course there was the bad frogs who went to the other school that grew up on the wrong side of the river tracks, you know, that didn't jump into the, to the furnace, right? Is that how this was? Good frogs, bad frogs, no. Why did the frogs jump in the fire? They had no choice. God commanded them to do it. God, so to speak, made them do it. So what are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azayah learning from these frogs? Look, if they, do, if they could do it, and they're not obligated, how much more so with we, with, with us? So the question, my friends, is a very good question. But I think the answer is perhaps much more important than the question. The answer is that it's, it's not the situation that God forced frogs to do anything. Rather, it is a deep truth of our universe that the universe is not forced, perhaps, to do what God wants. It's not that God forces it to do. God sets the decree, and the earth follows in what God wants. The natural order of things is to do, is to do what the Creator, what your Creator asks, wants, desires from you. So when God wanted this to happen, the frogs, they fulfilled God's desire because they were His creations. Anu Amecha, we are your people. We are your nation. We are your creation. So we do what you ask of us, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. What Hananiah, Mishael, and Azayah saw was not a, a frog that had a Talmud thumb and went like this. They saw that they were doing what they were supposed to do. And therefore they said, we also are supposed to do what we are supposed to do. My friends, I want to illustrate what this idea looks like in the real world. In non-Hananiah, Mishael, Azayah moments. In non-frog-related deaths, okay? My friends, the, uh, the, the Stefer of uh, Sha'are Emunah, which was written by Rav Pinkus, he describes a fascinating idea about Kiddush Hashem that very few people know. If I ask you, what is a Kiddush Hashem? Most people will say, what's a Kiddush Hashem? Give me an example. What does that look like? So I Sorry? Say you're doing, you're walking down the street with a kippah and you give a homeless man money. Walking down the street with a kippah, give a homeless man money. Or, okay. Or a gift. Or a gift. Right? You give a guy, uh, you give a homeless man a gift on the street and you're wearing kippah. That's Kiddush Hashem. Is he right? Absolutely, he's right. I remember people thinking, you know what? Kiddush Hashem means when you make the goyim see, na- nations of the world see, um, that the Jewish people are a just, kind, good people. That they're following the ways of the Torah. Someone said to me, Rabbi, it's not a Kiddush Hashem. Everyone there was Jews. Even bigger mitzvah, to sanctify God's name, 
amongst the Jewish people than it is amongst the Goyim. Both of those are Kiddush Hashem. So that's what most people know. However, Rapinkas points out, based on the Rambam, Rambam writes explicitly, explicitly, listen to this, there's a kind of Kiddush Hashem you can make when nobody's watching. Not someone not Jewish, not someone Jewish. People do not know this. A person doesn't holds back from a sin, or they do a mitzvah. Not because of anything in the world. He's not afraid. And there's no fear. He's not doing it so people will uh, give clap for him or think he's a great guy. Only because God commanded him to do so. Like the way Yosef Atzadik held himself back from the wife of his, uh, of his master, Potiphar. That is Kiddush Shem Shamayim. Now, let me point this out. I want to draw out this idea. Kiddush Shem Shamayim, therefore, is not when you show someone. It's not when you show a non-Jew how good the Jewish people are when they follow the ways of Hashem. It's not when you show a Jewish person how great the Jewish people are. It's also that. That's Kadesh Shem Shamayim Berabim. Did you ever notice that? We say in the, in the Ketorah, we say, right, we say those words. Kadesh Shem Shamayim Berabim. Because there's Kiddush Shem Shamayim in public, and they're sanctifying God's name in private. So really, if you want to translate correctly the words, is to show the sanctification of God's name. You could show it publicly, or you could show it by your actions privately. What's an example? The example is Yosef HaTzadik holding himself back from Eshet Rabo from Potifera. Now, I don't know, to you, to me, it's what he means, the sin of adultery. He's a tzaddik. You know what I learned from Harambam? I learned from here, even something that truly, you really shouldn't even be contemplating doing. Let's say as an example, someone in your house, right, a good friend of yours, they left their wallet on the table. You could steal their wallet. Anyone here ever felt the urge to hush to steal their best friend's wallet when the guy comes to visit. You don't feel the urge. I'm not going to need to take your money. I'm not going to steal your money. Why? Because I'm not a stealer. <laughs> Tell that to Pittsburgh. I'm not a stealer. Okay? Could you imagine that? Yeah. Still, the halakha would be that if the reason why you're not stealing is because you're an honest person, that is a kiddush Hashem. If you could get away with it, and you don't do it because you're... It's not because I could get away with it. It's because it's not the right thing to do. Anytime you do something because it's the right thing to do, or you don't do something because it's not the right thing to do, and there's no other reason why you're doing or not doing it other than the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu told me not to do this or to do this, that's a Kiddush Hashem. Now we know that the worst sin a person could do in the Torah is what? Chilul Hashem. Every other Avera, you could get forgiveness by Teshuvah, you could get forgiveness by Yom Kippur, you could get forgiveness with Yisurit. 
Chilul Hashem says, Harambam, the only uh, cure for Chilul Hashem is the suffering, the pain of death. Rabbeinu Yonah writes, how else could you fix Chilul Hashem? By doing an extra Kiddush Hashem. So normally you think, okay, I'm, I'm not uh, getting burned at the stake in Toledo. But you don't have to die in order to make Kiddush Hashem. You can make a Kiddush Hashem by doing something nice in public. But now we're learning, even by doing something nice in private. My friends, I want to give you an example of how simple something like this actually is. Rav Pincus gives examples. I, can't, I was reading and I was like, oh my gosh. I, f- I was filled with such joy to read these words. Okay, you're sitting at home. You overslept shacharit. I know it never happens ever to anyone that we know, but there's probably someone out there in the world that one time in his life, total mistake, total onus, but slept through shacharit. Now he's at home by himself. No one will know if he puts his tefillin on or not. He puts his tefillin on, he says shema, not even the whole tefillah. He says Shema. You know why? Because he woke up 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Missed Kriyat Shema, missed the morning prayers, missed the Minyan. He's home, no one will know. He's by himself, no one's there. He puts on Tefillin. Aside from the mitzvah of Tefillin, he gets the mitzvah of Kiddush Shem Shamaim. You know why? Because no one will know. The only reason why I'm doing this is because Hashem commanded me to do this. So I just want to shout out over there to all the people in the world that get a lot of this Kiddush Hashem very often. You know, you're down on yourself because you miss Minyan, but maybe be up on yourself because you know what, not only do you do, no one would have known. Your Chabad rabbi from campus was not there strapping tefillin on you. You did it to yourself. Your rabbi didn't call you and asked you, did you put tefillin on today? It's 11 o'clock. Do you know where your tefillin are? Your rabbi did not give you the PSA. You did it for yourself. Kiddush Hashem. <laughs> My friends, Shabbat morning in your house. You spill some grape juice on the table. Without thinking, you reach out. No one's there. It's just you. Your wife, you're single, or your wife is sleeping. Kiddush on the table. The kiddush, the wine, spills on the table. You reach out without thinking. You're about to pull one tape, one paper towel off the roll. You reel up, oh, Shabbat, can't rip. You go into the other room, you get a napkin, ready cut. You come in, you wipe it up. Not only did you just get a mitzvah for not breaking Shabbat, Shmirat Shabbat, that's a mitzvah, you, would ju- you just sanctified Hashem's name in the world. We don't realize this. And sometimes we're going through the motions and we don't realize this. And I want to give you an example. There's an amazing woman. I don't want to say a name. A lot of people will know who I'm talking about. But I don't want to say her name in case uh, she'd, uh, she'll be embarrassed. But she deserves all the praise in the world. She has a daughter. Her daughter's been unwell for many, many, many years. This mother is the most dedicated mother I've ever met in my life sleeps in the hospital, lives in the hospital, knows more about her child's condition than the doctors themselves. 
while she's sitting there through years and years and years, decades now, okay? I think you're, you're nodding, you probably know what I'm talking about. Daughter was here, daughter was in CHOP. Amazing, beautiful soul, the child. The mother is much more beautiful soul. To understand what it means to give your life for your kid. Unreal. Now she's studying, she's getting a degree in social work to help other people because she's had to go through the worst kind of pain in the world. If you ask her, what are you doing today? What am I doing today? I'm in the hospital. My daughter said, I'm hope hopefully we're going to take her home soon. What are you doing today? I'm here. I'm, doing, you know, what are you, I'm going to read a book. There comes a point where you're doing the most heroic thing in the world, where they could make a movie about your life and everyone would watch it and cry by how beautiful the love for a, mo a mother for her child is. It would be a bigger blockbuster in the theaters than any other movie. You just call it a mother's love, chalas. You were sold out the whole world. Everyone go watch it on Mother's Day. They'll cry, they'll go hug their mom, they'll buy her flowers. You could be the subject of the most intense, beautiful movie in the world. Now, what do you think you're doing today? What are you doing today? Nothing. You ask a mother who's raising a family, what's up? What are you getting up to today? Ah, nothing. Nothing. By 7 o'clock in the morning, she's made three different kinds of breakfast. She's taken this kid out of bed that doesn't want to get out of bed, the other kid that's, you know, that didn't have matching socks, the, second, the, the other kid that left his homework all over the house. She went and gathered all the pieces of paper, put it back together. She, on the way out the door, the kid that didn't study for the test, she's doing flashcards with him, right? At 7 o'clock in the morning, she did enough that any man did that would need a week vacation. What are you doing today? Nothing. What's his mother doing? Biggest hero in the world? That's not a big deal. Anyone would do it. No, not anyone would do it. In fact, almost no one would do what you're doing. Sometimes we forget what we are doing. The value of what we're doing. Vinik dashti b'toch b'nei Yisrael means that if nobody knows and you still did the right thing, why did you do the right thing? Think about the fact that there's a billion, trillion stars in this planet, that there's uh, people all around the world of all different faiths, zero in on your city, zero in on your street, zero in on your house, in your house, in your living room is sitting you. And you know what? You take a candy out of the bowl while you're watching your TV, or while you're uh, studying your Gemara, it depends on what kind of house you have. And without even thinking, you pop open the candle, Who saw you do that? Nobody saw you do that. You made that beracha. In that moment, you illustrated that you're a man or a woman of faith. And you do the right thing. You know why? Because Hashem told me to do it. And I follow the ways of God. I am a person who follows in the ways of God. How magnificent is that? Chananiah, Mishael, Azariah were able to look into this moment and recognize that every moment of life is an opportunity to be doing the right thing. And they looked and they found that, look, there are people, there's beings out there, even if they're frogs, that when they're told what to do, they know what they have to do and they do the right thing. And you know what? We've already also been told what to do. We know what the halakha is in this moment. So I'm going to do the right thing. You're in the bank. Your ATM machine spits out an extra 20 in the thing. Do you have to return it? No. But you know what? You want to do the right thing. You walk in. You make the Kiddush Hashem. You got the Kiddush Hashem because they saw it. And you also got another Kiddush Hashem.
Because you know what? Before they saw it, you had the choice to walk away. But you chose to do something because Hashem is in the world and you live your life by those, by those mitzvot. What a magnificent idea. Hashem should bless us to be walking Kiddush Hashem's. Hashem should bless us to be the same person on the inside, in the inner room of our home, that we are outside when everyone's watching. You ever notice a person walk up to the Torah, I'll end with this, and they start saying the Biracha, and they lose their focus, and instead of saying, Asher Bachar Banu, they say, Asher Natan Lanu, and after Asher Natan Lanu Torah, they start saying another Biracha. Right? Why does that happen? The guy's made the Biracha 50,000 times before. In fact, he made it that morning. He's nervous, Sammy. Nervous, right? You have a guy, you call on him to Hazen, you say to the guy, yeah, Hallelujah, you do it. The guy's like, he can't read three lines straight. The guy knows how to read. He's coming to shul every day of his life. He knows how to read it. Why can't he read it now? Because he's in public. And when people are watching, we're scared about the way people will see us. But when I'm private, I flow. My friends, we have to work on matching our inside person to our outside person. Because whether you're inside or outside, the reason why you do things is not to impress people. It's to show him that we are following in his footsteps. May Hashem bless us to be uh, that authentic self. Baruch Adonai Le'olam.